Welcome to Extra Podcast, episode 261. Uh, this is Pucci, your producer, Matt. Around the table with me, I have Jeff. Hey, Matt. Greg. Hi, Matt. And Ezra. Hi, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, is this your last time with us? No. What? Ne- next week. Oh. Next Tuesday. Your internship is coming to a quick, a, a rapid conclusion. I know. How do, how do you crazy. feel about that? Sad. Oh, that's a little, nice. That's a nice. Sad. That's nice to know. We had that kind of positive influence on you. Yeah, yeah. your intern class was the best intern class this year. Yeah, it was. Did you we teach didn't have that, any Ezra? other class? We didn't have any other class this year, so, so theirs was the best. Ezra, you're, <laughs> it's nice to see you, Ezra. You're back. You've got a you've got a non motorized cart with you. Yes, I have a little scooter to carry your leg around. To carry, to carry my body around. Yes. It's pretty fast, that scooter. I, I took it out for a spin this morning. Yes, you around did. The, around, the, around the church a little bit. Yeah. I, still, I think later on we might be doing some racing on it. No, you'll not. Yeah, we're going to do some time trials. Uh, no, it's not happening. Is it, it ain't a toy. Well, it's kind of a toy. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it not kind of is. That thing is a lifesaver, dude. Is it? Oh, yeah. Ezra, you live, on a, you live in a house that has three stories. Yes. So... I'm trying to figure out how your little non-motorized cart gets you, gets you, helps you at all. Do you have one of those Actually, stairway elevator <laughs> chair things installed <laughs> in your house? Uh-huh. That's exactly what I use. Dude, that's to awesome. Go all the way up. What happens when it gets stuck on the tracks the way halfway up? Oh. You just wax it. With Tamara! A, with a stick. Honey! <laughs> Do our listeners know up. what happened to Ezra? Nope. Ezra. And they must. Tell us the story. What happened to me? Well, I was playing soccer with Imran and a whole bunch of people from the community. And I went to kick the ball, wait, a goal wait, no, kick. Well, oh, so it was a goal kick. It was a goal so, kick. So like, it was uncontested. Uncontested. There was, nobody, there was nobody around you. There was no one around me. Okay. So it was a goal so you kick. You weren't actually playing soccer. You were doing basically the same thing that like my, my daughter does when there's a little ball in the yard and she has a That's go right. Okay. <laughs> the same thing. Anyway, so I went to kick this ball to shoot it further up the field. And, uh, were you shooting it or were you just kicking kicking it? Shooting it. You were shooting it from yes. your goal line to the other goal line? To, to, to one of the players But that's not a team. shot. A shot would be actually if you're trying to get the ball in the to net score? on the other side. No, no, no. No, like, it wasn't that. You, you it was like to, a pass. You were passing no, the ball a, to one of your, neighbor, your friends. Okay, fine. Yes, I was passing the ball to but one of my uncontested friends. Pass. Uncontested pass. Uncontested pass. <laughs> okay. Yes. So I went to pass this ball, Jeff. And Un- uncontested. Uncontested. And as once my right foot kicked the ball, my left foot was planted next to it. And uh, I just felt an explosion, an internal explosion in my ankle area. And right then and then I knew I had ruptured my Achilles tendon. What happened to the ball? The ball got to its destination. Did all it? Right. Yep. So you continued with the kick. I yeah I, I once I shot the ball and my right foot was swung through so the ball the, shot into it. the air. At that point, you decided to shoot it. Yes. Okay. And the ball was the in pass. the air. <laughs> yeah, I passed the ball. Okay. Right foot in the air, left foot still planted in the grass, the ground, and it was right then that it ruptured. So the other players, the game continued, but they didn't know what had happened. Did you? Cr- of, were you crawling off the field? Were they thinking like you know in soccer when somebody goes down? Because mm. you were uncontested. Yes. They were thinking, oh, come on, get up. Because oh, no. immediately you, you, you took a dive hoping that you would get a penalty? The goalie didn't know what had happened. And so I stood up. I tried to stand up and I put full weight on my right foot because it was my left that the Achilles had ruptured. And I hopped off the field because I was right at the goal. So then I told the goalie, I'm not coming back. We've got a sub. I think my Achilles is gone. So I just hopped all the way to the stands where my kids were playing around, and I told them, kids, I think daddy got to go home. I have a bad injury. Did your team win in the end? I, Did no, they do it for Ezra? No, they didn't do it for okay. Ezra. Yeah, it was, it was all around a bad day. So you, you, went to the, uh, you went to the hospital? Yes, I went to the hospital that same night, okay. and uh, the doctors did confirm after doing some tests that, yes, my Achilles had ruptured. So now, nine years ago, I had uh, the same injury, but on my right foot. Now this is my left, so on my right foot. So I knew the moment the doctor said my Achilles had ruptured, I knew, okay, I've been here before. You are Achilles. This is <laughs> not going to be fun for the next year. Yeah, you know, Ezra's Achilles is his Achilles. <laughs> it's a crazy, yes. Both of them. 
So, so now both 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 have gone through this Brutal. rupture. So Crazy. yeah. So now I'll be. So on. you've got a, you've mm-hmm. got a, bo- a boot now. Yes. And it's your second boot. Your first boot was a bit of a stock boot. This one here is a custom made luxury boot. <sighs> It's, I wouldn't call it luxury. It is custom-made uh, specific it's pretty for... pretty luxurious. It is specific for Achilles tendon rapture. It's got a little balloon inside. Actually, the balloon itself, it's not a balloon. It's, it's like the original Air Jordans where you get... <laughs> or those... What do you remember those ones? Actually, you can pump up with Reebok? the little... No, this one, this one you don't pump air in. This one is to... It has some little jelly stuff inside That's and you pump air out of it to harden it so that it's as hard as a cast oh. so that your foot doesn't move so you strap your foot in nice and not tight but just nice and snug and then you pump the air out and then it becomes like a hard shell but you so don't, that your foot you don't have to have surgery play in no recent technology suggests that uh that no technology is better no research research has oh. shown research has shown that uh, Achilles tendon raptures, Achilles heels can they can heal on their own. The tendon can heal on its own if it is immobilized, and then you do some uh, physio and things like that properly. What, it can heal on its what own. What kind of physio are you doing? So right now, none yet because it has to attach itself properly first before you begin to stretch and do some exercises on it gently as it continues to heal. So it'll be about a six month period of physiotherapy and healing and pain. So the last two weeks of your life have consisted of what? Well, basically, basically I was taking it easy, sitting at home, foot up, sitting at home, foot up and reading blogs. Did you have a little bell? Papers. You have a bell at all? No, I didn't. Actually, kudos, kudos to my wife and my kids who have really waited on me for the last... Uh, for the last two to three weeks. Because were, you were supposed to be back just days after, but you stayed like two weeks because you liked being waited on? Is that- they, no, 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 no. Actually, with this, with this, where I'm at right now, I should have been off my feet for a month. Mm. Yes. Until, and thus the cart. And thus the cart. So off my feet for off a month. Off foot for a month. Yes. Yep. Actually, I would say my feet because my other Achilles that severed <laughs> and was surgically repaired... Uh, if I strain it too much, it can re-rapture. So, because I'm now putting full weight on it. <laughs> that would not so go well I, for that you. that is not oh, going to go very well. And so then I have you'd to be, be in careful. a wheelchair for a while. Yeah. So that would not be well. So would I have you to be, be in one of those wheelchairs that has the feet straight out or the ones that bend down? I have no idea. Do you know no what I'm talking idea. about? Yes. You know those big ones that have the... <laughs> so I have no idea. All right. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good. So it's good to have you back, though. Yeah. But it is good to be back. You're preaching soon. Yes, I'm preaching so next week. So here's my question. Mm. Are you going to be like Andy Stanley? And Are you going to sit on a stool? stool? Yes. No, can you please preach from your cart? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> no. Actually, the Mission Campus does not really do very well. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not the greatest for a cart like this because when you leave the church building... There's the ramps that take you down to the parking. Yeah, and pretty so those, steep ramps. It's quite steep. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, when on. I come to the church, I have to use my crutches, not the not this little thing. No, no, Unless no. I park right up beside oh, I think the door. We, we'd let you park right near the door. Yes, if, if I you, park, if, you, if I park beside the door, sure. But if you preach on from the car, if you, you preach from the cart, then we let you park from the door. <laughs> There's no way I'm preaching on the cart. Thank you. You anyway, imagine? he should just wheel around while he's preaching. Pace oh no, on your do, cart. It in, do it in circles, pacing, pacing <laughs> around. No, not doing that. But anyway, you know, all right. It is good to have you back, and we, we actually are. I'm teasing you all this time, but it's good to have you back, and it's nice to. I'm glad you're healing. Yes, one step at a time. Well, not step, <laughs> literally, one step. No one little, at a time. One, one little, little push one, on the trolley. One glide at a time. One little step at a time. Okay, before we move on. The NBA Finals were on Sunday. Yep. Does Jeff have anything to say? Well, I just would like to go on record as being the person who was on record (laughs) as saying that Steph Curry was not the greatest player in the history of the NBA. (laughs) I know this is a shock to all you people who decided that you'd anoint him after two seasons of Gilbert Arenas-type basketball. but, But apparently now he... And you know what bothers me now is apparently now everyone's just trashing the guy. Come on. He's a good player. He's not the greatest ever. He might be the greatest shooter ever in some time if he keeps playing the way he Actually, has. But right. he's not terrible. Come on. He had a few bad games. 
whatever. But that that game seven. But 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 was okay. Are you going to say? Are you going to say he is a better shooter than Reggie Miller? Yeah, he is a better shooter than Reggie Miller. Really? Yeah. Okay. He also won a title last season, but he's not Larry Bird. Right? I didn't watch When Bird. I said that the last time in our podcast, you guys all acted like, well, he kind of is. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's Stop just because Larry Bird has like a hue of nostalgia around no, him for not. you. No. Larry. So you, you look at him and you just see like memories of right. good things. All of no. you basketball fans no, but, out there, I would like you to send in whether or not you think Larry Bird or Steph Curry is a better player. I'm on the Larry better Bird shooter. side. Apparently, apparently, shooter. Okay, but, but, apparently but Greg is on the he, uh, no, Steph Curry but, side. But, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. I think in most professional sports teams, there are seasons or times when a team goes on a slump. And I think that's what happened to Golden State. They the lost slump, nine games the in the playoffs. The slump came yeah. at the wrong time. They played really well and had and they had uh, the Cavs in trouble and then they they went on a slump. So and they, they were, couldn't get off it's the same get thing. out of the slump. It was the same thing with the Patriots they when they went for the perfect season yeah. and then all the fanfare around the perfect season and then you get to the championship game mm-hmm. and there's all of this pressure of like, oh man, we can't. You're playing not to lose. Well, and you saw the and end. So then you the lose. end of the game was like that. They couldn't score. Yeah. And the one play that they thought they were going to score on, like there was going to be LeBron easy, was James. the layup. Was LeBron Oof. James jumping basically over the rim? That was to remar- pinning it to the back. That was a remarkable defensive play. Mm-hmm. That was such James a great game. Yeah. Was beast. That will go down in the in 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 the history of the NBA yeah. in NBA lore yeah. as perhaps the best defensive play. Of any game seven, any NBA final, like the biggest play. Yeah, in, in that the NBA was finals. monster. That was a really good play. But anywho, congratulations, but, LeBron, if you're listening to this. <laughs> we want to say that uh, Jeff believed in you the whole way. I did. I didn't. I didn't think that. By the way, why is why do you have an issue with LeBron James? I don't. Why does everybody have an issue? Okay, here's James? my thing with I. Here's my thing with LeBron James is I feel like if people aren't actively singing his praises. People will say, "Why do you hate him?" No, no. There no. are there are haters, for sure. Yeah, maybe there but, maybe there are people who would say that that if you don't actively sing his praises, that's that's the case. But you know what? I he's one of the he probably is one of the best five players in the history of the NBA. Yeah, I mean he's tall and very agile. Like he's so wow. Mm. He's a full athlete. Great. You know, the player. best thing about him is he's tall. Great player. I mean, he's... Over to you, honestly, Ezra. Let's honestly, go over to you for, the, for some honestly, a- analysis. No, no, I mean, honestly, the, the reason he was his able to... strength? The reason he was he's able tall. to dominate over Steph Curry is because of his height. Because he's tall. Yes. Yeah. He's tall. It's useful for basketball. Totally. <laughs> he's, he's tall. All right. Let's, uh, let's move into some listener questions. Um, <laughs> Monique Bull was tall, too. He only was, 15 Manute minutes. Bull was really okay. tall. Hey, 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 hey. Mark let's, Eaton. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> okay, first question is, hi, Extra Yow Team. Me. I had a question in regards to last weekend's sermon about the story of Gideon. What are some examples of divination you've seen in your lifetime? So I should recap that uh, I made the argument in the, my sermon that Gideon was practicing divination in fact, at the beginning of the week when I was studying the passage in, uh, in uh, Judges 6, 33 to 40, I was not as convinced as I was at the end of the week that it was divination. But the more and more I looked at the context, the more it was pretty evident that the guy was about to go into battle and was trying to figure out whether or not, whether or not the God who he had just sort of gotten to know recently and told him to cast out, the, you know, to, to destroy the, the altar to Baal whether this God was actually going to be with him and whether this God was going to have Baal, Baal, the God of the storm and the dew, under his thumb. So this was a very common practice, the practice of divination in those days, uh, especially among pagan people. And if anything, Gideon shows himself to be kind of like, I don't know, what percentage pagan here? Mm. Pretty pagan. We call it a syncretist, right? Somebody who's merged two religions together. He's not a total monotheist yet. (laughs) He doesn't believe in only the one God. He believes that, well, there's, yeah, Yahweh, who's called me to do this thing, and he seems like he's a bigger god than the other, because I've heard about him, but mm. my dad has this 
temple or this altar to Baal and has t- brought me up to believe that he's pretty strong too. So I'm kind of hedging my bets a little bit, and I need to have some assurances from this new god. So yeah, he practices divination, and I was making the argument that uh, because of that, divination is, is condemned in Deuteronomy 18 in no uncertain terms. And so was what he did a good thing? No. The fleece is not a good thing. It's a practice of divination. It should not be, it should not be emulated by Christians at all. The question then is, well, what kinds of things do Christians do? And I'm asking you guys now. What kinds of things do Christians do that look like divination? So let me define divination really quickly. It is, it is a desire to see, to, to get an answer regarding the future from God or the gods by propositioning the God, your God or the gods, in such a way that they, they, they have to give you an answer in that moment. Do you understand what I mean? So you set up a, you set up a system whereby uh, by a certain occurrence taking place, mm. you've, heard, you've heard from the gods. So people used to use dice this way, right? If I roll a six, God's in it. If I roll a one, it's not. Flipping a coin. So I'm, I'm propositioning God. I'm putting him in a situation where he needs to answer me according to my rules and the goal is to find out something about my future, mm. right? It's sort of tarot card reading, this similar sort of stuff. That's a, that's a practice of divination. Would be tarot card reading, mm-hmm. which is they used to read the. They actually used to read the. I said in the sermon, uh, the the liver of a sheep. Mm. It's funny because some people freak out about that, but did you know, in, like in the early twentieth century, people used to crack the heads open of. They used to read the lines on a brain because we didn't believe in. They used to think, oh, the lines in your brain are the things that are actually going to dictate your your future. We didn't know things about DNA and other things like that, too, at that time. Or And they came from a viewpoint that believed that there's no immaterial things in the world. So, you know, if you want to know the truth about someone, there's a bunch of lines in their brain. You can read them like a tarot card. Hmm. Anyway, what do you think? What kinds of things are Christian divination? Do we? Is it nothing? I mean, in some ways, I can, stick a, I can take a stab on this. Uh, Lord, show me a sign. Well, I think you should take a kick at it. Have show a kick, me, have a yeah, kick at this. Uh, yeah, with my, with my foot. Um, Lord, show me a sign. Let me a sh- show, me a, show me a sign that you're in this. Yeah. Um, so what kind of signs would you be looking for? So, I mean, uh, show me a shooting star. Yeah. That's going across the sky. Or, Lord, let a bird come to my mm. deck this morning when I'm drinking my coffee and reading your word. Lord, let me do whatever. Yeah. So it's almost kind of like, show me a sign. And if the yeah. sign doesn't come, then you feel like, okay, God is not in this. And yet, again, when you read, I really appreciated Greg's sermon in, uh, at the Mission Campus, where, you know, the, the word of God in many places is very clear as, as to the things we ought to do and things we ought not to do. So... In, on, on issues where the Bible is explicitly clear, then obedience is required. Right, but the question for a div, uh, somebody who's going to practice divination is, yeah, but what about the areas that it's not clear? Like whether or not I should go to that college or this right. college. Or so one of the examples girl. I used in my, uh, in my sermon was, you know, if, if there's a job opportunity in Toronto and you're trying to figure out if you should take it to, to put out a scenario where you say to God, okay, if my house sells within the week for over asking price, I know that this move to Toronto is of you. Mm. And if it doesn't sell in that time frame or for over asking, then I know that you want me to stay. Right. So, so that's, that's so divination. Go, God. That's divination. Here are your rules, God. I need to know uh, the future, meaning is your blessing on me or not on me? in this particular plan, uh, and I'm setting up the rules in the situation, and now you need to show me show me that. I, th- I think what's harder for us, though, is that we, we see the, the reading of the livers, and, you know, I read other places, they would, they would read the, the water, how a water reacted to something being dropped and in it, die. all kinds of different ways, right? We see that as like, man, that's a weird practice, but but putting forward a proposition of God making your house sell in a week, that's just good sense. Like that just seems like it's a fair right. way to do it. But but I think if we were in that ancient context, we would look at it and be like, uh, of course you're going to look at the liver. Right. Like that's totally natural for you to want to do that. You know, the crazy thing about that passage and the main point that I was 
ultimately trying to make in my sermon was that Gideon got that God actually condescended to Gideon mm-hmm. that he 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 gave in to Gideon's uh request which is of course the shocking part of the whole thing and it's not the only place you have in scripture where God'll do this and on in on Saturday night I changed my sermon a little bit from Saturday to Sunday on Saturday night I tried to make the point that you know when the when Elijah is running away from God the Lord comes to him and gives him food while he's resting in his in his running away, <laughs> do you know? Mm-hmm. Which is this weird, like, wait a minute. If mm-hmm. Elijah's not supposed to be running away, in fact, when he gets to his destination, the Lord the Lord takes him through this this. What are you, you doing know, here? What, what are, are you, you doing, doing here? Hmm. Type stuff. And yet, on his way to getting to the place where God asks him, "What are you doing here?" the Lord says, "Here's some food because you're going to need the energy to run away from me." <laughs> Which is a remarkable thing. Or, or you get the story of the Witch of Endor. You know, you read this story and, and they're consulting a medium to try to, to bring up the spirit of, of uh, Samuel. Samuel. And you're reading it thinking, what is this about? And it's a similar thing to Gideon's Fleas. Just because it's in the scriptures doesn't mean that the scriptures are endorsing its use. Mm-hmm. The fact that God uses it is the part that throws us off because we're like, well, surely the Lord wouldn't be giving some tacit approval to this. Mm. And yet and yet he uses the thing to try to get a message to mm. the to the people he's working with. And so there's this this remarkable grace and generosity that God shows to us in our immaturity. And yet that doesn't justify our immaturity. But, but what what about the fact that nowhere in the text do we see God condemning this? Yes, Gideon. when you say that, I, I agree with you, but in Deuteronomy 18, it is condemned. So when you say there's nowhere in the text, yeah, in, in this passage, in Judges, agreed. But in the law, he, what he did was he broke the law. He broke the law of God. In fact, he is, I think the lang- language is he is, he's aligned himself with the despicable practices of the people of the land. It's mm-hmm. for this very reason that the Lord's kicking them out of the land, these kinds of despicable practices. And so, mm-hmm. yes... He's doing a despicable practice, but God in his kindness is showing. So you get both, you, you want to walk away from a story like this on the one hand saying, man, this guy was, d- this kind of practice is dumb. And there are better ways for us to make decisions. And then on the flip side say, but isn't God who, who you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're all pretty immature and almost every one of us is a syncretist at some level or another. And yet the Lord uses our syncretism to get us where he wants us to go and to mm-hmm. help us along the way. And that's just a remarkable truth mm. that he loves us like that. Mm. But I do still want to focus on the first part, right? And that we ought not be syncretists because what bothers me is there's so much of this stuff that goes on and we all justify it, don't we? Mm. Oh, Yeah. Like we all end up saying, oh, this is a really good practice and you should take, you should do it this way when you're decision making. And so, so I would like you guys to tell me what's a better way to, to make decisions? Because the question that's going to follow up, I think even the questioner asked the next question. Yeah, the next question, how are we supposed to know what God's will is for our life mm. if this is a bad thing? I mean, I think the, we'd have to understand what is the, what is our what is our key responsibility or the goal of our lives as Christians? I mean, to bring glory to God and to enjoy Him, I would say. So what does that mean now in my day-to-day? If, if, uh, is, is the Lord calling me to go to Toronto, for instance, to, to do a work there, to, 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 uh, to pursue a job there? And the, the answer to that question would be first I'd start by asking, okay, is there a good local church that, can be, that I can be a part of in the Toronto area? where I can go and worship there, my family can go and worship there, and things like that. So that would be question number one. And then question number two, obviously, okay, so what was the nature of the job? Uh, is there support uh, for me and my family so there? Those kinds of you're things. You're suggesting first. to make these decisions using wisdom, yes. using forms of wisdom, yes. using uh, things you know to be true in Scripture, yes. like uh, don't forsake the meeting of yourselves together, as yes. is the habit of Psalm, Hebrews yes. chapter... Uh, yes. What am I right? Hebrews 12 there, right? Hebrews 10. Anyway, Hebrews 10, 23, I think. Anyway, so you're saying, okay, so that should form a way for you to make a decision around this. Yes. I mean, I would add one piece that the, the question is asked, oh, how are we supposed to know the will of God then? If by that you're referring to God's individual will for your life at any given moment, my, my question and response is, are you supposed to know? Mm-hmm. God's individual will for you at any particular moment. I know that that's common, and everybody, I've heard sermons over and over again about that. Oh, you need to know that God's will, and He's speaking to you and telling you where you should go and what breakfast cereal to eat. 
But I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know. I think the Bible is sufficient. And I say that because the Bible itself claims that, mm-hmm. right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for reproof, correction, training, in righteousness, right? For the man mm-hmm. of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Every good work. So, so there would be someone listening who will go to Romans 12, 2. Right. Do not but conform, I think that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to test and approve what God's will yeah, is. Yeah, and I think that what follows from Romans 12, 2 is the rest of Romans 12 through 14, which is the description of the will of God. It's a moral, cat. they're moral categories. Mm-hmm. You need a mind renewal so you think what God thinks is right is right. And by right, I mean like morally right. Because you're you're a rebel, apart from God, and your mind has been has been you know uh, messed up by the culture in which you live, and so you need a renewal of the mind so that you can actually see the morality according to God's sight. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that text is not arguing that oh you need to know whether or not you should go to you you'll know whether or not you should go to a certain college or not. I listen. I'm not suggesting either though that God doesn't have may may not have a desire for you to go to a particular college. I just think that you're not commanded anywhere in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, okay? And this is after Pentecost. You have not commanded anywhere to seek that knowledge at Hmm. all. Hmm. So why why is it such a preoccupation with Christians? Hmm. It seems to me that that's why I brought up, when I was preaching, I brought up Acts 16, where you get a story of Paul who's just making these choices that seem so normal. Like, we're going to go into this town. Oh, we can't go there because he says the Spirit of God stopped him. Which, from my point of view, is if you read the rest of Acts and the way that got the way that Paul understands providence, he ends up saying that about lots of stuff that is providential. In fact, the whole Bible views it, the world is under God's hand, and so if the if the chariot wheels go sideways because of the rain, how do we describe that? Do we say the chariot wheels went sideways because of the rain? Hmm, lucky us. No, it says that God intervened, mm, yeah. right? Mm. And that's that's my point is that I think Paul's working with that worldview, and he's saying, yeah, the Spirit, the Spirit of God stopped us. I don't, know what, I don't know how. I don't know how he did it, but mm. you and I get stopped all the time with our plans. Mm. And then he chooses to, go, chooses to go another direction, and then gets stopped there, and then eventually gets a dream in the middle of the night, goes there. I mean, I just think mm. this is a wonderful... He, here's a guy who's making plans, trying to go in one direction, right? Mm. God stops him, and then eventually he ends up going to a location that he didn't expect because the Lord interrupted. So in, when you make decisions, like you said, Ezra, you want to go to Toronto? Okay. Like if you want to go to Toronto, okay, love God, do what you want. Mm-hmm. Go, go to Toronto. But before you go there, you should test your motives with Scripture. You should test, mm-hmm. like there are some things that Scripture says, like don't forsake the meeting of yourselves together, mm-hmm. that are important there, there that are in things like that, and and at the end of the day, you should feel freedom, a vast freedom in making a decision mm. along those lines, and know that the Lord is good to you, and He will interrupt. Yeah. He will. He will interrupt. Isn't that what James says in the yeah. end? Mm. And I think the big thing would be the environment you're about to thrust yourself into. Will that environment lure you away from the Lord? Totally. So or these, not? But these are great, That's the question. These are great questions to ask yes. before you go there. But these are these questions have to do with godly wisdom. And so you're gonna yes. you're not just gonna ask that of yourself. You're gonna get Greg involved, and you're gonna ask him, "What do you right. think? This is a decision that I have. What do you think?" You yeah. get some godly advisors, and God speaks through the community of faith. Mm-hmm. You, you might very well get a moment where you get like a surge in your heart, like, I can't go there, I can't go there. Well, thank God that he interrupted you in mm-hmm. that regard, right? To make you not want to go there anymore. That's good. The, the, Lord, the Lord is leading you in that way. Yeah. But I, the idea that you, sh- you should sit there and wait for lightning to mm-hmm. strike, it's not... Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that, you, like I mentioned James, you get that passage in James that says you who plan to go into the city and make a bunch of money for a while... It says, but you should, rather, what you should do is if the Lord wills, we will go live and do this this or that. The correction there is not against the planning. You should plan and make direction decisions to go in lots of directions, but it's basically saying you just leave room for God's sovereign plan. God might have a different viewpoint on it. He might interrupt you, which is what happened with Paul. And I just think that this is the way we're supposed to be. It's a very normal way. It's trusting that God's Spirit is actively involved providentially in every event. So people will have come to me before and said to me, oh, but what you're, espous- what you're espousing here kind of devoids things of the Spirit of God. I'm like, no, 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 no. Actually, it involves the Spirit in everything, not just miraculous fleeces. Hmm. 
You see the Spirit of God working and opening a door. You see the Spirit of God empowering you to go through that door. And you see the Spirit of God sometimes interrupting you when you go through to say, this isn't the door I want you to go through. Hmm. So the Spirit is actively involved at every moment of your life. And you should just constantly be praying, oh, Lord, interrupt me. This is I want to go in this direction. Hmm. I, my heart is tied to that. I'm- you know what the big, the, big, the big issue or the big deal with this subject is, uh, say, um, using me as an example, I was asking the Lord, hey, Lord, should I go on this mission trip, let's say, uh, and I fleece it. And the Lord actually shows me through the fleece that, yes, you should go. And then I go to this trip. We have amazing outreach, blah, blah, blah. It's great. So I come back, and then um, you're – then a few months later, you're in the same situation, but maybe asking the Lord, hey, should I move to Toronto? Should I do whatever? Mm-hmm. And then I tell you, hey, this is my testimony of what I did. You know, like Gideon, I fleeced this, and the Lord showed me, and I went. It was great. So guess what? Well, it's weird so about So because your... it worked for totally. me, so now obviously well, and what's I'm weird about your endo- story, and which is common, is you're, you're basically saying, well, the Lord's in it if it goes well. Yes. To which I'm like... Well, that's not the attitude that you have of guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are about to go into a fire. And they're like, well, you know, even if if the king, even if God doesn't deliver us, we're not bowing our knee. Like, in other words, God's in this. Mm. Either way. Hmm. So I just... I struggle with with, with the, the, um, the theology behind it, that God is only into giving us good stuff. Mm. Right? And that's how we know it was God's will, is if it all worked out in the end. Well, sometimes it doesn't work out in the end. Polycarp gets killed. He gets eaten by lions in the first century. That didn't work out. Was it God's will? Yes. So I struggle with God. Sometimes the Lord sends you into situations where it's not going to be easy and where you're going to... Paul gets sent to prison, guys. Right? Mm-hmm. He has a shipwreck, right? Mm-hmm. So the, these was it not God's will? Or did he miss it somewhere along the but line? You know, oh, people... maybe he should have just maybe he should have cast lots, or he should have done a fleece and asked, "Should I get on this boat? Should I not get on this boat?" Okay, so what would you totally. say, Jeff? What would you say for and, and also you, Greg and Pucci as well? What would you guys say to someone who is listening to us and thinking, "This is how." Ever since I became a Christian, this is how God and I do stuff. This is how God speaks to me because he knows who I am. He shows me different signs and things like that. So now for you to say that, okay, fleecing is mm-hmm. not a good thing, it's not a good practice, but this is what has been happening in my whole life thus far as a Christian. So now what are you saying to me? I'm saying you should form your belief about God based upon his revelation to you in his holy word. Mm-hmm. That what you know to be true about God is revealed to him in his word to you. Mm-hmm. So if your practice deviates from his word, then the fact that God has used that practice in your life is evidence of his kindness toward you. But let this be a moment for you to start thinking, I might need to grow up. That, that this kind of practice can and has led me down some paths that are not healthy. I've said to myself, because of this practice, oh, God is in this, and God wants me to do this, when actually he hasn't necessarily wanted you to do this Hmm. or that. You've attached the name of the Lord to something that he's not in, which, by the way, is probably what's meant by taking the Lord's name in vain. It's slapping God's name on something and saying, oh, this is God saying it. When actually it's not God saying it. You're making decisions and trying to give authority to your decisions apart from what he's said or hasn't said. Again, our faith is formed by how God has revealed to us us in scripture. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that's that's my big issue. The, The scriptures say they're sufficient for life and faith, that what I know to be true about God is found in the Bible. And mm-hmm. so if I'm going to form my, my, my pattern of life around anything, it's going to be around that, not necessarily some mystical experience I had that could have been with a benevolent spirit or a malevolent spirit, right? A good one or a bad one. It could, could have been both. But you have no real evidence to suggest it's one or the other. Mm. So just because God um, responds and sometimes acts in, in, in kindness toward you by by following through on the fleece does not necessarily mean an endorsement of that particular practice. That's right. what I'm hearing. Yes, or the Witch of Endor. Yeah, and one of the pieces that I brought up in my message and mission, just to kind of add to this, is that 
we I think we need to be aware in our context that we don't do things through through sheepskin fleeces and through livers and witches of mm-hmm. Endor and all that kind of stuff. What our culture uses mostly is is the the language of like follow your heart or or do do what feels best to you. And so we have adopted that as Christians and the way that we apply that kind of cultural rule of doing what feels best it is we spend our quiet time in isolation um, just trying to perceive what it is that God would want us to do. And so we we use our, our isolation, our alone time, and then when we... So again, it's not that God can't use that time to, to guide us, because He does for a lot of people. But I just think we need to be cautious of the idea that that we have a, a really high degree of, of a push towards, you know, just do what's right to you as an individual. And so we can have a really strong isolationist type of faith if we're not careful. I think our default in our culture is to say, the best way for me to know about this is to go spend some time privately, mm. alone. And what I feel I need to do when I'm alone is what I need to do. So you're critiquing, you're critiquing the, the kind of rabid individualism. Yeah. So again, I'm not saying that God can't and hasn't and, and won't use those times as when we're alone to do a profound work in us. But what I am saying is that I think we assume that time alone as an individual seeking the Lord on something is the ultimate spiritual good. Right. Whereas actually there's wisdom in the in the voices of many counselors. Mm-hmm. And it's not actually less spiritual to have significant conversations and, and seeking God's, what, what God would want in the midst of other people. No, that, that's, fact, less, that's not less spiritual again, than doing it in the dark room by so yourself. So this is my big, I think this is my big overriding concern about this is that what ends up happening, the reason I bring up the, the critique that I've heard from people before saying, oh, well, you, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit then, mm-hmm. is I'm saying, no, no, actually, I, I, I would argue that the person who's making that critique is being a reductionist with the Holy Spirit. You're saying that the Holy Spirit is only involved in these private moments where he tells you these little things and that's when the Spirit is moving. I'm saying, no, that could happen. Yes, in the Scriptures, we don't have any uh, any suggestion that we should seek that kind of thing. But what we do instead is have God involved in, the Spirit involved in so many things. I just seriously, guys, think about this for a minute. My, how, <clears throat> doesn't the Spirit, if you read the book of Acts, and and in most occasions, actually, when, when the Spirit of God shows up and maybe an angel of the Lord in the Old Testament comes and speaks to somebody, those occasions are, are never invited. Mm. They're always interruptions, mm-hmm. right? So Moses is just doing his sheeping thing, and there's a burning bush. Gideon is threshing wheat, and there's an angel. Mary's just doing her, I mean, like, she's just... Doing her thing, and, and the she, angel shows up. Philip is just, he's serving the Lord up in Samaria, and the Lord shows up and says, I want you to go down this desert road. This is my issue. I think it's awesome when the Lord shows up in a dream telling you to go to Macedonia or whatever. Great. But even at that, they take it and they evaluate the language there is, and we decided to go. So they even are evaluating the dream together before they go to Macedonia. But but my point is that God will interrupt you in lots of different ways, but it's always interruptions. Hmm. It's never you saying, God, I'm going to put you in a situation where you have to answer according to my rules. It's never that way. And yet that seems to me to be the major approach that we take on these matters. Mm-hmm. Is God? I'm I'm in charge here, and I need to know the future because I have an idol of control. Sorry, I'm being mean now, <laughs> but I have an idol of control, and you're going to do it according to my rules. And so I set up a, a binary system, and oh, see, it went this way. Therefore, God's in it, so I have the authority now to do that thing. Unless, of course, I didn't like it, then I'll do a second one. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And it just it it's immature, and it it really does. It's led Christians down paths that that are are, are shameful. In, in many places. So if you had to give one piece of advice to lead Christians towards maturity, what would you say they should do? To, in this decision-making? Yes. These sorts of things? Avail yourself of the many ways that God can make you wise. I think by, I, by that man, I mean the scriptures, yeah. your yeah. friends, the community of faith, the church, all these different things. These are the ways that the Lord is going to make you wise. And so it's wise people who make wise decisions that are in line with what God values in the world. 
Mm. Great. Okay, let's uh, let's look at another question from a listener here. Um, it says. How are we, we to view uh, translations of the Bible like the message? Are translations like these that modernize scripture uh, using modern language promoting false ideas, or is it just a great thing that this Bible translation has renewed my passion for reading scripture again? The message is not, um, it's not a translation. I just want to be clear on that. <clears throat> the message is what we call a paraphrase. Which is one step away from a translation. So if you and that's what it claims about itself, right? It doesn't. Eugene so. Peterson's not claiming that this is a robust translation, right? So that's basically like Ezra over here who knows Swahili. Ezra takes a, a, a written text in Swahili and he translates it and hands it to me, and then I take Ezra's translation and I rephrase it into English language that would be kind of appropriate or whatever for my particular context. Um. You can see when I give that illustration that on the one hand, it's not a bad thing. Like it's it's a good thing. I'm trying to be contextual, right? Mm-hmm. It's also rife with danger <laughs> because I'm we're two steps removed now. Right? There's the translation which already made some interpretive decisions when he translated it, because yeah. there might be different phrasing and words that he could choose. But then there's the next step where it's like, well, I'm I'm working with the words he chose. And I'm sort of rephrasing them in language that I sort of like that might connect and that might convey an idea that's different than the original author conveyed. So I don't know, hold 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 it with fear. <laughs> but like a good like I've read the message at some places and I think it's 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 okay. I prefer the yeah. New Living because it's a translation. Yeah. Yeah. I think the message hold it loosely. Yeah. Not like physically. Because it might drop on your foot. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it, it's like Eugene Peterson did not write this so that it would be people's only go-to Bible, only go-to no, no. Bible or, or to use it to from. try to try to justify spreading of different doctrines or to use it to give to preachers to preach from. He yeah. he wrote it to be a, a helpful devotional guide. Yeah. In in places, to me, it's a. If you're into devotional Bible reading and you like buying the devotional books, the message is actually a pretty good one. Hmm. Uh, so in my mind, I put it more in that kind of a category than I would in a translation that, hey, if you want to spend some time thinking about what the Bible says and, and hear someone's take basically on it, um, the message is a really helpful one. And If there's a turn yeah. of phrase, if there's a turn of phrase in the message that really helps you... Uh, I would probably say to you, or that you want to say, oh, isn't it one wonderful the Lord is saying, it says this in his word. I, I would probably say to you, okay, before you make that statement, you probably should go and look at look at one of the translations mm-hmm. and decide whether or not Eugene Peterson did a, a good job. Because, you, listen, again, you are, you are as capable of doing a translation, a, a, a paraphrase, as Eugene Peterson is. I mean, if you know English well... You can do a paraphrase of a Bible tra- a Bible translation, and so you get this stuff. The voice isn't there one called the voice? I think so. Yeah. Out, it's a, it's a paraphrase. I know that there's also a, a radical or passion one, which is also a paraphrase, and that's like some of the phrasing. And I know the voice, some of the phrasing in that is just misleading at places because that's the thing. You have an agenda, oftentimes, yeah. right? And I'm not saying Eugene Peterson had a necessarily agenda. I think his agenda was to try to help people devotionally. Mm-hmm. But I think some other people come along and be like, and have an agenda toward a certain kind of social justice or something like that. And so every time they read something in the scriptures, they want to kind of spin it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. I that that's the closer you get to the originals, the the better. The only unfortunate thing is a lot of people. Uh, I'm not saying Eugene Peterson is one of them, but a lot of people would lump the message with, say, the NIV, mm. ESV, NLT. They'll put them all together and say, this is the Word of God, so I'm going to buy the message because that's the Bible that speaks no. to me directly, speaks mm. in a language that I connect with better. Um, Again, the New Living is a really good reading Bible. Yeah. Just so you know, and it's a, it's, it's a translation. The Living Bible is a paraphrase, mm. but the New Living is, is a translation, and it's an excellent one. And if you want to get something a little more wooden and more literalistic in terms of the, how faithful it is to conveying some of the words of the the originals, 
uh, or at least the, the, the Greek text and the Hebrew text, then you, you go to something like the, the ESV or the New American Standard or the Holman Christian Standard Bible. The NIV is, to me, an excellent, an excellent Bible that go, mm. that's a middle-of-the-rotor. It does both. It's a good reading Bible and also a really good faithful t- translation. In fact, I think the NIV probably is the best do-it-all, tran- do-it-all Bible that, that we mm. have. If this, if the conversation about translations and paraphrases, if you're kind of getting lost in it, one of the ways that was helpful for me when I was trying to get my mind wrapped around it was that translations are in the Bible section and paraphrases should be in the devotional book section of your bookstore. And then if you treat them in those categories, I think you kind of have a better framework going into what you're reading to figure out, okay, what part of the bookstore am I in here? Am I in the Bible translation part or the devotional part of the bookstore? So there you go. It's Great. hard though because bookstores don't don't do that, Greg. Yeah, no, they don't. They put the message right no, next exactly. to the next to the the other one. Yeah. NIV or whatever. And so they're they're not necessarily making that distinction. Right. Yeah. But you should when you're going in the bookstore, you should make that distinction right. and say, oh, actually, that one. I'm not sure if that's if I want a Bible for studying, I'm not going to get the message. So you would say somebody struggles with the archaic language sometimes used in some translations, and they're looking for a modern translation, you would say NIV or NLT. Yeah. Actually, the New Living is the one that I usually point people to. If they like The, the same comments that are made about the message are comments I hear from people when, it, when they get introduced to the a New Living. They're like, wow, that's really helpful. <laughs> it's, yeah. in, it's in modern language. And I'm like, yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's, an excellent, it's an excellent work. So is the NIV, though. Right, and and the NIV is is not as as wooden as the ESV. The ESV uses some some awkward language here mm-hmm. and there, but it's still better than New American Standard, which like is in a whole different it's world. It's difficult to read at times, mm-hmm. just because it just sounds so. You know. mm-hmm. Total aside, I listened to this Bible app, mm-hmm. and uh, the the uh, they uh, it's ri- it's red. Which is really cool, by the way. If you have a Logos Bible uh, app, you can do the ESV is red on there. You can do that. I've always wondered why they don't get the New Living red like this. But anyway, the translation I've got, I've got an NIV on this Bible app. And the NIV is being read to me. And it, it's really good. I love the translation. But here's the thing. <laughs> they do a different voice for Jesus hmm. than they do for the others. And the guy, the, the Jesus voice is, and, and the, the, the narrator will say, and Jesus said, and then Jesus' voice will go, Go, like it's a. <laughs> I'm Jesus, and I'm telling you to go. Like all of the, his intonations and stuff, he's trying his best to put Jesus in the most like, his words in the most like, I don't know, respectable English like Queen's language mm-hmm. as possible, and it just sounds very funny and stilted. And Jesus is always <laughs> very nice, very nice, and he always says things this way. <laughs> he speaks very slowly. <laughs> just after a while, you're like, "Stop it! <laughs> just read it." Which is funny because I'm listening to it, thinking to myself, uh, "Just the way. Sometimes the way that you read." The language of Je- the words of Jesus, mm. you come you come at it with a preconception regarding like what what he's like, and this person, I, I the person who's reading it, you can you can just feel the like, oh my gosh, I'm reading this the the holy words of Christ in this, and so I can't put it in just normal language, but it makes him sound in Matthew's gospel, which is a real earthy gospel, right? Mm-hmm. It makes Jesus sound like he's come down on the clouds and his feet don't quite touch the earth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, should we do one more? Sure. I don't know, you're the producer. Okay, let's do one more. Come on, produce, man. Um, this comes in from a listener, as do the others. It says, <laughs> how do we justify the claim that the Bible is the word of God? It seems that Jesus' words should be taken more seriously than yes, the rest of the they scriptures. Should. I agree. Jesus' words should be taken more seriously than others? Than the rest of the scriptures. In the Old Tes- uh, New Testament, Old Testament as well? Yeah. Okay, the big question I'd ask the listener is, so who wrote the other parts of the Bible? Wouldn't it be the same people who mm-hmm. wrote the words of Jesus? 
Yeah, that's a weird part, right? There's yeah. no there's no spot that you have. Jesus never wrote anything except for no. what he wrote. In the, we only know he wrote in the dirt once. Yes. Supposedly. But even that passage supposedly. in John 8 is questionable. questionable whether or not it's even in the scriptures. But my point is that like we don't really have any like documents that say, you know, say by Jesus at the top of it. Hmm. So all you have is apostles, ultimately. Yeah. And they're, they've written all this stuff. And, so and the they apostles, are the ones who gave yeah, us the Yeah, the apostles who wrote the words of Christ in Matthew... Hmm. is the same Matthew who's writing his interpretation of the words of Christ. Yes. <laughs> right? And arranging the material yeah. and all that stuff. And that's that's what you really... You get into a bit of trouble there. And it's the same apostles. Hmm. You know, uh, people will want to argue against Paul and his apostleship, but that was a problem Paul had from the very get-go, and he argues yeah. it pretty strongly against the Corinthians and others. But the point is that Paul has... has uh, his writings were commissioned by God as well. Anyway, Greg, you've talked about this a little bit lately. Yeah, I've had to do a little bit of work on this topic. One of the places that is might be helpful to go to is in John 16, um, where John is quoting Jesus in saying that, uh, starting in verse 12 of John 16, says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot he- bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you, He's speaking to His apostles here, into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you, the disciples, the apostles, the things that are to come. And so what what John is doing in this chapter in John 16 is he's giving some of the pretty specific commands that the disciples, the apostles in particular, need to hear about going into the next phase of their ministry of being disciples of Jesus, which is go- are going to be now the authoritative voices of, of doctrine for the church as it grows. And so there you have Jesus in the red letters telling his apostles that the apostles have the authority to communicate what the Spirit has to, to tell them. And so you have Jesus telling us that it's actually about apostolic authority. What's interesting, Greg, about you pointing that text out in particular is that so many of us, when we've read that text in John 16, we end up saying, yeah, that he'll lead you, meaning me, Mm. Jeff, into all truth. Mm. And what you're arguing here is that, no, actually... I'm not in view there because it's 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 those words are addressed yeah. directly to the apostles. So a lot of times the the use in the when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's saying you, a lot of times that is for disciples in general and can have a future like it applies to us just as much as it would have to the original <clears throat> disciples, but in some cases like this one the context is pretty clear that this is this is for the apostles. So this give is, me some context that shows that. Because there are other things that he says to the apostles that you and I would not read and say, right. oh, that's for me. Yep. So starting in verse uh, 1 of chapter 16, he said, I've said all these things uh, to keep you from falling away. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember what I've told what I told them to you. So you have a pretty, that's a pretty specific, like you're not going to get to be in synagogues anymore, right. and your formerly Jewish friends are going to not want to be around you, and they're actually going to oppress you pretty hard because of the kinds of things you're going to be doing in ministry. And you and I would not look at those texts and directly bring those across to us. No. You would not say, oh, that you is a me. It's you meaning them and me. Right. You'd say, no, 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 actually, because being in, kicked out of synagogues isn't a problem for me. So I would say in that context, the way it probably applies to us is by saying, you know what, by us being faithful to God, we're probably going to face opposition. Right. But Sim- Similar to that of the apostles, because the apostles are guaranteed oppression here. Yeah. And then later on in chapter 16, where it talks about being led into all truth, I would say the way that applies to us is that the way we're led into all truth is the Spirit helping us understand what the apostles have given to us right. in the Scriptures. Valuing, valuing the apostles' writings then. So you, you take something like John 16, plus you have Peter talking about um, the fact that Paul is writing Scripture. Uh, you have the apostles self-aware of their authority in the, the mantle that they bear in terms of providing the doctrine for the church and how seriously they take their apostleship. Mm-hmm. So all that to say is even the red letters say that there are no red letters, that yeah. it's all apostles. 
And so we don't get to pick and choose as Christians which parts of, of the Bible we want to list, which parts of the New Testament are authoritative and which parts are not. They're all apostles. Mm-hmm. So we have to find a way to make them all fit into our so system. So what, what drives that level of thinking? There are groups of people who would say mm-hmm. that the red letters, um, that the words of Jesus form a canon within the canon, a, a, a more trustworthy guide, and it's through those red letters that we need to interpret the rest of Scripture. I, th- I think um, most fairly stated, to draw on the Kyle Meeker in me, to try to be fair, is I, I think that it's, it's an extension of the desire to see Jesus as the fulfillment of everything. Mm. Jesus as the pinnacle of perfect theology. And so because Jesus is what all Scripture points to and what everything flows out of, that means Jesus has a primacy. And because Jesus has a primacy, when He speaks, we need to listen. I think it's been misapplied, though, in that second step. So yes, Jesus as the fulfillment of everything. Yes, Jesus as, as perfect theology. And yet, we only know about this Jesus because His apostles wrote, it down. So that's my question, or maybe a point that I want to throw out here, that uh, I know this is going to sound crazy to several of us, but uh, we have a, a divinely appointed, mediated relationship with, with Jesus. Does that make sense? My point in saying that is, look, God mm. chose in his sovereignty to uh, relate to me through apostolic teaching. So I know about God through through the apostles. They, they are the mediation of God's mm-hmm. message to me. Mm-hmm. This is something, quite honestly, that most most Christians would m- might agree with in mind, but not in practice. That that we end up saying, oh yeah 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 yeah. God inspired them, and we we have verse theopneustos, right? God breathed what they wrote, and yes, Paul's words are called scripture. And so, yes, that has an authority that's different than, you know, the inspiring I get or whatever. But my relationship with Jesus is, mm-hmm. is not mediated at all. Right. It's, it's, there's no... Do you see what I'm saying? The, the problem we get into is when we start saying things like, the Jesus I know doesn't do things like... I've even read people say that, that, that the Jesus, the God that Jesus presents in a place like Matthew 24, Jesus' own words in Matthew that that Jesus isn't Christ-like enough. <laughs> and so, the, the, because the Jesus I know wouldn't speak of that kind of a judgment, wouldn't speak of that kind of Right, of and this horror. is, my, but my, my point then is, oh, that, but the Jesus that you know should be mediated by the apostles, right. but mm-hmm. you've created a Jesus that's unmediated. That is is a little bit of what the apostles say at the points that you like what he what is said about him, and then a little bit of your like you know best mm. best practices Jesus. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so what you he's he becomes malleable. There are books actually. Mm. Ryan Horwood wrote a good one called Tasty Jesus. That that is this is their their main point is that Jesus becomes a little bit of what the Bible says, and then a whole lot of what a culture says, mm-hmm. or a whole lot of what someone's agenda says, and they they squish it together into like amorphous, mm-hmm. amorphous Jesus with, and I slap a label on him, and I say, see, that's the Jesus I know. When the truth is, actually, you don't know the real one. The real one's the one who's mediated through the apostles. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're the ones who were commissioned right. by God to to talk, tell you about Him. And, right? and this is a very long-standing relationship that the church has had with our Lord. Since the Ascension and since Pentecost, Christians have always known about Jesus through apostolic authority. Yeah, so it's not teaching. like it's not like we're in a worse so off the, spot than the first church no, was. The early church gets we're together. in the same spot. And what do they commit themselves to? Remember Acts 2? They commit themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, hmm. right? To breaking mm-hmm. of bread and fellowship. These So... Again, the, the apostles' teaching was the centerpiece of their faith. It was it was the way that God wanted to communicate with the generations that follow, yep. and and He continues to do so. What I'm so shocked at, quite honestly, is and this gets back to everything we're talking about—the will of God and all these things—is that you, what you end up having in the church today is people who seem to want to give lip service to that and say, "Yes, yes, of course, the Bible is a very important book. Yes, very, very important," and then 
But let me tell you about my experience here. And but let me tell you about. And again, I listen. I am all for experience. I had plenty of experiences with the Lord. But all of those experiences need to be interpreted by what God says in His Word. All of them do. They are subservient to, to mm-hmm. what He says in His Word. And we, that shouldn't be just lip service to us. Mm-hmm. It should be more than that to us. If you want to mm-hmm. know God, if you want to know what, he's, what Jesus is like, if you really want to relate to Him, He's giving you a really great way. He's speaking right now. Take up and read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Amen. Great. I think that's a great place to end. Um, if you have questions, email them in at extra at This is episode 261. Have a good day. Oh,